All right, can I just say, listen, I'm just church, when, when Carl throws a drumstick, don't help him by picking it up. He's just going <laughs> to throw it again. Just let it <laughs> Oh, did you stick it in the... St- <clears throat> he was fired up about the return of Jesus, so, which we'll be preaching on this week. But before we, before we get going, I just wanted to give you a little uh, a commercial about the upcoming series we have in Revelation. It's going to be called Letters from Heaven, a study in Revelation. We start that in about uh, anywhere from three to ten weeks, depending upon when I get done with Second Peter. No, about three weeks. But Letters from Heaven... Uh, to steal a line from President George W. Bush, it's going to be a kinder, gentler revelation, kind of speak, so to speak. So I'm looking forward to that. <clears throat> I know you guys are too. We're going to learn so much about that beautiful book that is not preached enough. And I think it's going to be a very enjoyable time for our church as we go through these letters from heaven that are in the book of Revelation. But for today, we're continuing with our series on Second Peter titled, Remember These Things. This week... Return of Jesus, part three, mercy each day. So, waiting for the return of Jesus, as we've said in the last couple weeks, can be a frustrating thing for some people. Some people, it causes anxiety, right? Like, am I ready for it? I mean, it is a big event, after all. When it happens, it's going to be a pretty significant change. Have you ever heard of people who tried to attempt to predict the return of Jesus? I've seen so many predictions about when Jesus will return go sour. Ironically, we want to know when Jesus is returning, even though Jesus specifically said, nobody will know the day and nobody can know the hour when I will return. And, you know, ironically, also one of the passages that is most often used in conjunction with some passages in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation is this one, one of the ones we're studying today in 2 Peter chapter 3. A lot of people who are into this uh, prediction of the prophetic return of Jesus use this verse, a thousand years is a day, and a day is as a thousand years. They use it to try to figure out and calculate when Jesus will return using some other verses and other prophetic books. But look, it is natural for us as humans, especially as followers of Jesus, to try to scour the scriptures for clues, signals, and numbers, and to come up with these elaborate prophetic formulas that just might tell us what we need to know. Why do we want to know so bad? Why is it so we're not caught off guard? Question, do you think if you knew when Jesus would return, would that make following Jesus easier for you? Let me tell you how I think it would go if we knew. Well, today's March, what is it, March 13th. I've got another 25 years before Jesus comes. By the way, don't take that as a prediction, what I just said, okay? (laughs) I've got another 25 years before Jesus comes back. Today is not special. See, followers of Jesus, we know his return is a reality. And it really, we also know that that reality should impact how we live each and every day, how we get up each morning. But is that a practical expectation? To have this event that we're waiting for, that we have no idea when it's going to come, is it practical for it to have an impact on how we live today? I mean, we've been waiting 
as children of God our whole lives. The church has been waiting for 2,000 years. Is it possible, and, and bear with me when I say this, I, I kind of coining a new phrase. Is it possible that we have developed return fatigue? Let's go there for a moment, and it's okay to admit it. Does waiting for the return of Jesus ever become kind of an out-of-sight, out-of-mind thing for you? Are there days you go the whole day without even thinking about his return? So what if, what if there was a practical way to live in expectation of his return as part of everyday life? Wouldn't that be great? Let's look at today's passage in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. And that's, that's the only section we're reading today. And next week, I'll probably repeat verse 10. <clears throat> but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm going to read this part because I'm going to repeat it next week, but I'm just going to read it without putting it up on the screen. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and when the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed. I didn't want to put it up there on purpose because... I wanted to read it along with this for context, and we're going to read it again next week, but I wanted to make sure you understand that those verses that I just read, verses 8 and 9, are connected to verse 10. <clears throat> he says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. He says right before that, With the Lord a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Look at the history of this passage. There's a question that the early church is asking, is Jesus coming soon? See, being a Christian in the early first century must have been both exciting and terrifying all at once. I mean, everyone who had heard and followed apostolic teaching that had been passed down by Jesus to the apostles was awaiting two massive events that were predicted. One was geopolitical and one is spiritual. And the first event is this geopolitical one. I'm calling this one wars and rumors of wars. Geopolitically, if you remember in our series on Mark, the Gospel of Mark, called Mark the Evangelist, it was in messages number 61, 62, and 63 where we chronicled this amazing, stunning prediction that Jesus made that came true just 40 years later. Geopolitically, they are waiting for the signs of Jesus' prediction about the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. Remember that. Jesus predicted around 30 A.D. what would happen before that generation that was alive, including Peter and some of those guys, before they died. He warned them when Rome approaches Jerusalem, others are going to run to Jerusalem, to the city, for safety, because that's what you would do in those days. When, when an invading force would come, you'd run to the city and get behind the walls. And Jesus said believers should leave the city quickly, run fast, Go to the hills. When others are running to get behind the city walls, you run away from the city walls because the city walls of Jerusalem will not hold up. They will fall and the temple will be destroyed. And within 40 years of that prediction, in about 67 AD, here's what happens. Everybody sees something begin to take place. General Titus, the most famous, powerful Roman general, 
and his army begin a march toward Jerusalem. Now, he doesn't get there till about 69 or 70, but in 67 AD, his army is starting to move. Imagine the excitement that the early church has and the anxiety. Oh, my goodness. Look what's happening. Remember, this letter was written about 68 AD. So over the next two years, everyone would see, oh, my goodness, Rome is approaching. They know. Jesus said this was going to happen. Imagine their awe as these stunning predictions begin to come to pass. That's what the readers of 2 Peter are witnessing. And you know, Roman historians, secular Roman historians verify that something strange happened starting 67 AD. Christians began to leave Jerusalem in droves following the warning of Jesus and the apostles. And they began to settle in other Gentile regions, integrating into churches where Gentiles were. And now suddenly there are churches all over the place made up of both Jew and Gentile brothers and sisters, although not without some issues, they begin to live together. So here we are. They see this war coming. They know it's happening. Jesus predicted it, and they follow his instructions. They leave, and good thing for them, because had they stayed in 70 AD, most of them would have died. And now they're waiting for Jesus. This is the second big spiritual event they were waiting for that was taught by Jesus and the apostles. He says, I'm going to return, and I'm going to gather my church, and I'm going to judge evil. And as they see this first geopolitical one unfold, imagine the building excitement and anticipation of the possibility that Jesus' return is also just around the corner. They all, all of them, fully expected in their lifetime they would see Jerusalem destroyed and Jesus right away would return and vanquish evil. You could see why they would tie the two events together. Hey, have you heard? Titus is headed to Jerusalem. Jesus' prophecy is coming true. Surely he's about to return as well. And of course they would begin to speculate. It's human nature. Yes, Jesus said nobody knows when he'll return, but guys, look at the headlines. I can't tell you how many people have asked me about headlines in the last few weeks since Russia invaded Ukraine. Do you think this is in Revelation? My answer is no, it is not. They thought this was the end. If anything would be the end, it'd be a predicted war that Jesus predicted pretty clearly. But you can see what can begin to happen as they have these wars and rumors of wars and they're waiting for Jesus. They expect him to return very soon. You can see they would have return anxiety. Imagine the frustrating debates with the false teachers that Peter wrote this letter combating. As these false teachers, as Peter said, scoff at believers who are excited about the anticipated hope of the return of Jesus. You can imagine what they were saying to the false teachers, but you remember what Jesus said about Titus coming for Jerusalem? Open your eyes, man. Jesus is returning soon. And Peter wants to address a very specific problem ahead of time before they are disappointed. That's why he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm writing these things so that you're mindful of them to remember. Imagine what would happen after 70 A.D., right? The temple is destroyed, and Jesus doesn't return. Most of them were so convinced. They knew he was coming back, even though they didn't. They knew. If Jesus didn't return soon, over time, because people had the wrong idea of God's timeline, many would see it as a failure of apostolic teaching. 
and doubt might start to creep in and the false teachers might get a foothold. You can understand, right? When you consider the degree of pain and suffering they have at the hands of Nero, if they were all in on Jesus returning soon and after Jerusalem fell, he didn't, they would be branded as fools. The temple prophecy is just a coincidence. You could see how that would be discouraging. Cause doubt, maybe, cause fear. And Peter wisely wants to address this ahead of time before he dies. Remember these things. <clears throat> so that's the history. Look at the spiritual side of this. I want to talk about God time. A thousand years is like a day. I mean, if you spent any time at all reading the Bible or in Christianity, you've heard this phrase probably before. And Peter wants them to avoid this crisis of faith by reminding them to remember these important things when he's gone. He does not want them to fall victim to these false teachers if their anticipated timetable turns out to be wrong. If Jesus delays his return, that does not mean Peter is teaching them that the false teachers are right, that there will be no judgment. The Lord experiences time differently than humans do. To him, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Now, read in community, this is what's beautiful. Read in community, they would recognize this phrase from a very famous verse in a well-known song. It would be like this. If I said to you guys, I've got a peaceful, easy feeling, almost all of you could finish it off, right? I'm not asking you to. Please don't get up and sing it. Just... This is what is happening here when he says a day is like a thousand years. Oh, I recognize that song. They would hear this and they would know right away. That song, Psalm number 90, they would stop. They would open the psalm scroll and read it or sing it together, a beautiful poem by, Mo by Moses, a song about how God is patient and merciful with his children each day. You know, today, right now, if someone by chance, just somewhere in the room, happened to have a microphone and the psalm scroll open, it'd be really cool if they could read it, but I don't know if they do, but I don't How know. How cool, Joe? What, Steve, well, you have a microphone? I just happen to have one. Do you have the psalm scroll open? I do. Awesome. No, don't Amazing. sing it. Don't sing it. <laughs> Tell you what, why don't you read Psalm 90 just as they would if they were reading Peter's letter out loud in community in the first century. This is what would happen. They would come to this beautiful verse in Psalm 90 that Peter references, and they would stop, and they would all go to Psalm 90. So Peter, I mean, uh, not, you're not Peter. Steve, why don't you read this psalm? And we're going to stop here in a couple times. I want, you, I want you to see some important things. All right, Peter, uh, Steve, open the psalm scroll and read it. Let's pretend he's Peter. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. Go ahead. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it was past, or as a watch in the night. So we'll stop there for a minute. That's the verse that Peter quotes. And all of them would say, oh, I know the chorus to that song. And they would hum it, or they would recite it. You're going to love this. Continue on. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. 
In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Let's stop for a minute. Do you see the similarities? Do you see the connections? This is the sense of awe that the believers would get in the first century as they read these hyperlinks together. But there's more. Continue on. Return, O Lord. Stop. Return, O Lord. See? Boom. This is not a coincidence. Isn't Scripture beautiful? Continue. How long? How long? Isn't that great? Think about that. Isn't this a great tie-in to 2 Peter? Continue on, Steve. Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Okay, let's stop for a minute. This is a fascinating link in Psalm 90, tying 2 Peter chapter 3 to another very famous song in Lamentations we're going to look at in our personal section. It's going to blow you away. Steadfast, uh, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Satisfy, mourning, steadfast love. Glad for as many days, a thousand years is a day, days is a You see these themes coming through? It's just beautiful. Continue on, Steve. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Mm. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Can you imagine... They read, Peter says, look, I'm talking about the return of Jesus. He's not slow. He's not lazy. He's coming back. And don't try to tie him into your timetable. Because with God, a thousand years is a day. A day is a thousand years. Yes, you're right. I'm quoting Psalm 90. Why don't you sing it with me? And then the elders of the church would read it together and do commentary like I just did for you, pointing out the beautiful intricacies of the passage. Peter quotes this famous song. They read it or sing it, and they are reminded that God is merciful and patient all our years. But there is the other part of his return that God will judge. And after reading Psalm 90 as we did it, and you could certainly hear some of the tones of judgment in there, could you not? As they read Psalm 90, they would return to the letter. They would see the ties to verse 10 when he says, but he will return. There will be fire, and that is the other side of the return of Jesus. Yes, there is grace and triumphant as he gathers his church, but there's also judgment. This is the part of the gospel, by the way, that many people want to dismiss or ignore. There is a judgment side with the return of Jesus. And we will talk about that more in detail next week. Don't be discouraged that Jesus hasn't returned yet. Don't be discouraged if he doesn't return when Jerusalem falls. God doesn't operate on your time. 
He transcends time. But don't worry, he will return. He will judge evil. This is an introductory statement to the rest of chapter 3. The side of his, his return that isn't so beautiful and merciful and patient. So now let's look at the personal side of this. I'm going to talk about massive mercy. This was the sermon preview this week. Every day Jesus postpones his return is like a tidal wave of mercy and grace. So here we are 2,000 years later, still waiting for our faith to be made sight, still waiting for our Jesus to return. And we still can't resist analyzing headlines, can we? Geopolitical developments, prophetic signs and clues that his return might be right around the corner, and I get it. I'm not faulting anyone for, do that, for doing that. But I will tell you this. I, I think as children of God, over-obsession over Jesus' future return can cause us to miss out on, I think, one of the most precious, important parts of the daily waiting. All right. This was the verse from Psalm 90. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. See that satisfy in the morning? See if you can catch this here. You ready? Another return of Jesus' song in the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament. Very famous one. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Can you hear the link between those two verses? Can you see how they are both undeniably connected to 2 Peter? Have you ever heard this verse before? My first reaction when I hear this verse, it is a beautiful, refreshing verse that goes perfectly with coffee. Maybe a delish scone, a nice sunrise with birds singing, a morning walk on the beach. It does have that feel to it when you take it out of its context, does it not? His mercies are fresh and new every morning. It sounds wonderful. It seems like a verse tailor-made for expensive Starbucks lattes and to curl up on your overstuffed chair with an ottoman for morning devotions. A pleasant moment of relaxing mercy to get us through another day. And that is good, and it can serve that purpose, but it's not that kind of mercy in context with the rest of the chapter. You ever read Lamentations 3? It's hard stuff. This whole song is full of descriptions of God's judgment that takes Psalm 90 and double it. This daily mercy that he's talking about that is fresh every morning is a more substantial, just-in-the-nick-of-time kind of mercy. Like somebody, like the heroine is stuck on the, top, on the ra railroad tracks and the villain put her there and the good eye comes and takes her off the tracks right before the train runs her over. That kind of mercy new every morning is what he's talking about. It's the same themes that we'll be studying in the rest of chapter 3 next week, a judgment chapter. It's the other side of the return of Jesus mixed in with this little verse in the middle about these fresh mercies every morning. Verses in Psalm 90 that say, teach us to how to number our days. What does that mean? 
doesn't mean teach us how to number our days to 70. Teach us how to understand what our days are like compared to yours. Every morning, Jesus delays his return is a, wow, that was close kind of mercy, fresh every morning. Wow, that could have been bad for some people, but he waited another day kind of morning. That's what scripture means when he says his mercies are new every morning. It's just in the nick of time, colossal, massive grace. It is complete undeserved favor that he delayed yet another day. When Peter says a thousand years is as a day, he's describing how monumental, how colossal God's mercy is each day that he hasn't returned. Each morning that God's mercy holds back the tidal wave of judgment with a bigger tidal wave of mercy and grace should be stunning. Each day, a massive, fresh miracle, another unique, fresh, enormous, grand expression of mercy, fresh every morning. But one day, his patience will end. One day, the clock will strike zero, and he will return for his church, and he will judge evil. Yes, God will judge evil. It is part of his plan. It will happen. And when it does, it will be stunning. More on this next week. But for this week, let's keep it a little lighter, shall we? <clears throat> All the father, had, father gives me will come to me. You know who he's talking about? He's not talking about money. He's talking about people. He's chosen. All the Father has given to me will come to me. This promise from Jesus is the reason for that daily, fresh, massive, colossal tidal wave of mercy and grace that happens every moment he does not return. It is an expression of his patience. Every morning his return is delayed is an expression of mercy and love for his chosen who have yet to come to faith. Each morning, our God is merciful and patient as he waits for all his chosen to put their trust and hope in the gospel of Jesus. Think about this for a moment. Think of all that God endured, not just from the world. That's good enough, right? Just think about what he has put up with as he waited for you personally to come to faith. You don't think you'd be annoying to a God waiting he puts up with so much stuff from us, doesn't he? Our behavior on 41. But what about our lies, big and small? Our immorality, <clears throat> our broken promises, our family failures, our selfishness, our addictions, our arrogance, our disloyalty, our mistreatment of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? What about how often we fail <clears throat> as royal priests who are supposed to be fulfilling proclamation, integrity, and industry? What about all the times we've neglected prayer? What about all the times we've neglected his word? <clears throat> what about all your secret sins that nobody knows about? What about your secret thoughts? He has endured all these 
daily so that you could have the opportunity to believe. His fresh mercy each morning is a reminder. It's a humble reminder of his patience and his grace that should motivate us and inspire us to unrelenting kingdom service every day. God has designed us, in fact, if we learn this truth, to enjoy these fresh, colossal manifestations of his mercy each morning. Each morning he delays, we should be clearly reminded how patiently he waited for us. Yeah, I know you want him to come back now, but there are other people that you haven't met yet that he still intends to save. He's patiently waiting for his other children to come to faith and be transformed. Each morning, we take these fresh mercies. Each morning, we wake up to these fresh mercies. It should inspire new commitment to each other, new commitment to his work, new commitment to our calling, new commitment to his kingdom. Every morning, it should be like this. Well, he didn't come back. It's clear his mercy isn't done yet. (laughs) What should I do today for him to express my gratitude for another fresh morning of colossal, massive, monumental mercy? Or perhaps, for some of you here, Jesus has been patiently waiting on you. Maybe he's calling you right now, on this morning, of fresh mercy. Maybe you're one that has been keeping Jesus at arm's length for a while. Maybe you know you haven't yet fully surrendered to his call on your life. I know this, just like he did for me, and frankly still is today, Jesus has patiently provided fresh morning mercies for thousands of years. Why wait for another one? Why not make this fresh morning of mercy your day of faith? Why not come to him today? Drop the stiff arm. After all, who knows if there will be another? Jesus, yes, we await your return. Yes, we desire it, but we also know that each day that you delay, it is another fresh morning of massive, colossal mercy and patience and grace. Lord, reshape our mind, our thought process, that when we do wake up, to another day that you haven't returned, that we are reminded, well, here's another fresh morning of mercy. What should I do for my Jesus today? So, Father, first we thank you for all those mornings you waited for us. I pray that as they continue to pile up, that you would keep us humble as you seek to call and to save the rest of your children. And Lord, we just pray that you would give us the motivation and the inspiration as we enjoy fresh morning mercies, the inspiration and the motivation to be involved in the kingdom process. We say to you, Lord, here we are.
Thank you for your patience and put us in the battle. Lord, thank you for fresh morning mercies and the massive, overwhelming tidal wave of mercy and grace they are each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He is coming, but until then, enjoy the fresh mercies each morning. Each morning. See you next week. And the donuts. And the